I play a drunk character in my show, and for the first ten shows it was apple juice, but then the second half of the fringe he was drink- I was drinking double whiskies and yelling back into the venue to bring me more, and it was funny when it wasn't real, when it was an act, but mm. then I became I became a belligerent jerk. Did you get to the point where you were pretty shit on stage? No, that was the problem. <laughs> I was nominated for the Fringe Award again. Joining me today on the podcast is Mick Dwyer, better known by his stage name, Mickey D. He's an award-winning comedian who's been performing at international festivals across the world for well over a decade. Anyone that's had hardship and can tap into that and turn it into light, you know, I think they're doing themselves a service, you know, by getting it off their own chest and then showing other people. He's a cracker bloke with a big heart and a bigger smile who's lived a high-octane life, but it hasn't all been fun and games. I remember when I was doing the Melbourne Comedy Festival, and that's where all the heroin was being dealt out there, and all these little street urchins would come up and say, are you chasing? Are you chasing? So that was always stuck with me. What are you, what are you chasing? What's, what's driving you? Mickey's fought a long, hard battle with more than one addiction, drinking himself half to death and gambling away a quarter of a million dollars. I think that's the first time I've ever said that figure out, out loud out on top of my head, and it's like, Christ. He's been to rock bottom and back more times than he can count, and he's cool with telling you about it in graphic detail. Well, I know I'm a both taps on full bore kind of guy. If or I want to do something, yeah. Time flew by having this chat and we could have gone on for another hour but squeezed as much as we could into one. I'm looking for sensory overload. Welcome to Young Blood, a podcast about young men's health sponsored by the Freemasons Foundation Centre for Men's Health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist and this is our mission to talk about the stuff that matters and isn't talked about enough. Let's get into it. So you came on the scene as a 17 year old? Yeah, like a pup, straight out of high school. I've been writing my jokes in my school diary. Did you finish I, school? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I used legal studies as a subject to prop up all my other grades. That one took a big hit. My teacher, she was gutted when I got a 12 out of 20, but it kind of uh, propped up my written coursework in, in English. So I was a high school debater, a bit of a shit stirrer. I went to heaps of different schools, so that was a defence mechanism to fit in real quick. Got to be funny because I'm not much of a fighter. Yeah. So, so yeah. And that was always you from from the time you were a little tucker. You're always using humour. I guess. Yeah. My cousin's really funny, funny blokes. So a lot of mimicry there from films. But then mum and dad bought a pub when I was about seven. So I've been uh, around adults from quite an early age, and you know, seeing, uh, you know, yeah, growing up in public, getting exposed to that kind of environment. Uh, yeah, definitely. It was a, a sharp learning curve. Some of the things I saw as a young lad, you know, what was well, it? Well, everything's either a joke, a fight, or bravado, or a sexual comment in a pub, really, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. If, and and if it's not, it's someone breaking down because all four of those they couldn't handle anymore. You know, so yeah, you see all the emotions, all the raw emotions stripped back. Uh, you know, and someone it's or um, and it's not the piss talking. I fucking love you, eh? And he might genuinely mean that because all the, the veneers stripped back. So I saw a lot of that from age eight. And comedy gigs at the pub as well? Uh, you know what? No. The first ever stand-up I saw was on a, on a holiday. We're on a cruise ship where I do, I do a fair few cruise ships now myself. But I saw a guy in a talent show get up there and just one bloke at a microphone talking about uh, his holiday experience. He was just ripping it. And I thought, that's what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. And so from then on, just never really wavered? Like you thought all the way through school, like, I'm going to be a comedian? Uh, look, wanted to join the Navy. There you go. <laughs> mum, you know what mum said? She goes, how, who will you play cricket for? And in my head, I'm like, well, the fucking Navy. You know, <laughs> they, have, they have a cricket team, but she's probably thinking, how can you play Keep at sea? Losing, losing the balls over the side. Yeah, anything off the hip. That's that's <laughs> the kookaburra in the drink. There's a lot of six and out <laughs> on the sailship. Um and so you finished school, and then how did you get started in comedy? Uh, straight out, all well, formal lessons finished, and one of the blokes I debated with at school, his big sister's best friend was a comedian, Dave Williams, awesome comedian, and he went through my notes that I've been keeping all year. He said, this is funny stuff. Had you told anyone about it to that point? Were you trying it on your mates and stuff I like was. I died a couple of deaths at an 18th birthday. That yeah. was tragic. It was great. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Maricel Reguar. So she's half Belgian, half Filipino. So there's already both sides of her family aren't going to like my stuff. Yeah, yeah. And my high school mates, uh, you know, they, they politely laugh, but that was a proper death. That at was, was that your first performance? Kind of. Just crickets? Like, uh, other time, mate, and just the stairs. You've ruined her birthday. Her birthday, yeah. You know, yeah. that kind of stuff. But they were going, oh, it was all right, but I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, another <laughs> one was when I worked at KFC, we had a staff party on uh, now the there's this kind of it's like the Popeye but it's on West Lakes the Princess oh, it's this little kind of, so that's where we had a staff party and I did some stand up for the first time on there and died in my hole again. That was near eighteen. Uh, more or less, yeah, getting getting closer to to that age. But then um, I started doing stuff at Bolts Cafe, Rundle Street. So and- the the first few times you got up, you weren't funny, and you found the courage to keep. Go on and get yeah. up again. Well, the first t- first few times in a non-comedy environment, no good at all. Because, yeah, But then when I went on, I saw a few live gigs and then I had my shot, finished my finished my exams in year 12 and then went on stage on the 22nd of November 97 and, oh, it was just the instant rush. That feeling was just incredible. And was your stuff better or was it just that the comedy crowd's more more receptive than they were that night? I learned to refine it by seeing how other people spin their stuff and having Dave Williams help me and, and Adam Hills uh, oversee some of it as well. I had some really good, really good kind of nudges in the right direction yeah. and then I just went for it. And the fact that I was a, an 18-year-old, like a young pup in this grown-up world, they're going, have <laughs> look at this kid. Yeah. So I was just going for it. It yeah. was great. So you just fed off, fed off that the first time you got it. Was that your first addiction? Uh, look, I, I'd have to say, yeah, that was that was pure. I was, all, you know what, my first addiction. Let's, uh, it was video games, and it was that it's twelve hours a day because it was in the, the pub. The whole, it was in the saloon the whole day bar. Pass you by, yeah. What like, video games were you playing back then? Oh, this is like, let's show my age now. Yeah, Bomb Jack, Gallagher, like all the yeah, yeah. the commando, like twenty. I could put like where you had the top score on the machine in the pub and everyone yeah. knows who's got the top score. And that was always yeah. me. But then, because our pub was on an army base, these uh, these soldiers would come in and flick it off. With their reflexes and smash Mate, it. Mate, <laughs> and, and they would get dark with me because I'd just come back on. I'd get up in the morning and just set all the high scores again. They'd turn the machine on and off again, reset it, and it was just mongrel bastards. But, yeah, so I was – I knew I'd steal from mum and dad to play – Still their own money to put it back through their machines. I was a mastermind early on. I really was. But, so um, you were stealing to fund your addiction before you before you knew it. Yeah, exactly. Thing. It was like oh, I love these video games, and they're downstairs in the pub. But um, you know, but being around all that booze, never touched a drop until I was about seventeen. My um, it was I was the first eighteen footy captain of my college, and we're all. It must have been short that year, oh. mate. Yeah, totally. Look at me. <laughs> but that's it. You double, you double guess me, and I've already, you know, you're on the bench because a little fat, little fat fucker dispo- took over you. And you had and good leadership qualities. Though. I did. I could, I could really motivate the team to lose as a unit. <laughs> yeah. So the, the I first first drink I had was when I was about seventeen and a half. Um, yeah. And what uh, was what was that like when you first started drinking? What did you think of it? It was like, oh, okay. I felt rough the next day, but it was just uh, then when we go to high school formals, yeah, um, I'd have two or three beers and be flying, and then it was it was fun and giggly and stupid stuff. Then the the gigs it was always free, so when I when I become a pro comic, everyone's going to give you drinks, everyone's going to take you out afterwards, and if you're in another city, you know, it's like what next? Yeah, what's going to keep you drinking longer? What other help can you get to keep? So mine was always uh, drinking and gambling. And, and you what, drinking from the start, as soon as you started doing comedy, you were, you were drinking? As soon as you started performing at those comedy clubs anyway? Oh, not really. It was more afterwards, but then it was just because it was part of the hospitality. Mm. And I'd be like, okay, well, it's free. Rude let's, not to. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah, let's do it. And it's like it's a bargain, you know? Yeah. Everyone loves a bargain. Yeah. I'm but guessing it, you weren't getting paid too much either, so you were sort of thinking, well... Exactly. You know what? It's funny you should say that because we, yeah, a road trip out to Mildura, I'm not getting paid. I'm getting, you know, when you talk about, when you look back on it, look at the road miles, the hours you put in to get there, just say you're your own product. Essentially, you're a courier getting paid less than a courier. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, well. Get my money's worth. How, how many drinks? You know, how many drinks? Uh, you should, you're allowed four drinks. I've gone, well, I'm going to have Zambuca's. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have uh, most bang for your buck, sort of thing. Yeah, let's let's go and cash in. But uh, yeah, did you see drinking as part of the job? 
Yeah, yeah, because it's um, it's it's there. It's that's you know another thing as a as an artist, whether you want to, you know, whether you want to deal with it or not, your job is to keep people in the venue buying more booze. So you know, you could, unless you're purely in a strict theatre capacity, if you're playing pub gigs or club gigs, you're you know you're a, you're a beer salesman essentially. And because most people are drinking at those gigs, do you feel like that helped you be on their level? To be drinking yourself? Uh, look, I, I was none the wiser when I was amongst it, but since um, I'm six years sober now, so I can look back and go, I know I'm glad I'm not drinking. I need to be the sharpest bloke in the room, especially my late show, at the Adelaide Fringe, the Fat Cave, goes up at eleven thirty, and it comes down at two, sometimes two thirty. So it's a it's a big old show. I need to be the sharpest bloke on the room with the most energy to hold it all together. I don't know how I was doing it before when I was. Were you, were you getting on stage after drinking, like drinking before and then performing? Yeah, but you wouldn't call it drinking. It was just the fringe. So, for example, and it took my wife to point this out to me, just the, the volumes that we're drinking without even considering it. So let's, I always use this as an example. It was a, it was a Thursday. Um, some, some great mates were over from Melbourne as part of the fringe. I said, bit of backyard cricket. So we had three, three bottles of Cooper's Pale. They're playing backyard. We all shared a taxi up into town, went to PJ O'Brien's, played a bit of Buck Hunter, you know, just because it's it's four o'clock. We're not the show's not till seven thirty. So three three pints. So there's another uh so three bottles of beer, then a litre and a half, because you're drinking so this is just killing time. And that's not even registering because it's haven't not night time. Haven't even called it going out for a drink yet. It's yeah. just that's what you do. And then you get to the fringe where I was about to, you know, this is my place of work. This is, you know, the largest, you know, my biggest part of income for the year. I'm not really disassociating it. I go there and talk to my my tech operator, good bloke. He bought me a cider last night, so it's my turn. Walk in, get him a cider, um, and then he buys me one. Then I go on stage. Then I come off stage. Two, two or three people want to have a drink with me afterwards. Next thing you know, it's nearly 9 o'clock. And then I'm making the decision, should we go out drinking? And not up until then, that was just life. Mm. Then you're making a decision, should we go out and get on it? Mm. Which is, you know, when you look back on it, you go, whoa. With a show to do the next day as well. Yep. And can concurrently for, for another three weeks straight on every night. How were you feeling when you were getting on stage? Was it all sort of a bit of a blur that blended into one sort of feeling? Not really, or? because you get these adrenaline spikes. So like you're going on. So it's about dosing yourself, medicating. Like how, what's the, you know, if I'm hungover, I just top up. So you're feeling good again. Yeah. And Prolong you get that buzz, you know. Yeah. yeah so you're not, um, and then you might have a sniff here and there to, you know, give you a bit of a boot. Um, and, and then, you know, again, but it's all about what's going to keep you drinking longer. And then if I'm, uh, I, was, I was never about going out and chasing tail. I was never, you know, a scoundrel or someone who's, who's always a hoon for the ladies and the blokes. I was me versus the casino. So I'd like, I'd get a skin full, you know, I'd get a snout full and I'd go, all right, let's go and see if I can bring down the house. And then I'll be And that. could you? <laughs> no one can. <laughs> That's why the casino has more light bulbs in your hallway, doesn't it? Yeah. It's because it's, uh, yeah, but it's it's that I'm looking for sensory overload, whether it's, you know, whether it's from the bright lights, the machines, or the action of um, the action the casinos have. Well, it wasn't the winning of the losing. The rush losing. of it. Exactly. It was the dopamine kick. Yeah. So it's whether the rush of getting on stage whether the rush of, you know, that deciding you're going to have your first beer, you know, walking to the pub with your mates, that, that associated mode. session. That was my favourite bit when I pull it back. Going to the casino, it was the deciding. Mm. That would be the best bit. Winning or losing didn't really matter. Cashing out, probably about third on the list. And now the latest one, this is, this is real interesting. When you pull it back, I only called it the other day. I've got a food addiction. And, you know, it sounds, it sounds wanky because it's such an integral part of life. It's like, you know, when you hear people say, oh, I'm addicted to sex. It's like, of course but, you yeah, are. No sex shit. is awesome. Yeah. But they it generally might be their truth. And it's that first point of admitting it. Whereas when you say uh, it's such a first world problem, I've got a food addiction. Well, it's in, in my sense, I look back on it and go, Uber Eats is my big one. I'm working with a coach. You know, I'm, uh, you're going to laugh again. You didn't believe I was a footballer. I'm, I'm an ultra marathoner. And I, I, I run 50Ks, 100K races. Um, I'm, I'm pretty fast for a fat bloke. I can go. I'm a, I'm, there's an athlete underneath this fat fucker. 
It really is. Look, let's put some. Anyone wants? Anyone listen to this? You ever want to race me? I'll put a hundred bucks on the line. Victoria Park. Gambling again? Oh He's God! Just, it's, okay, he can't we, help can himself. We, can we gamble in beer? Oh no! Um, oh God, I'm hungry. But but the thing is, I uh, we kind of we were finding where are my pitfalls, just trying to work through my problems. And the stumbling block is if I have a setback, if I fall off, when I fall off the wagon, it's not on booze or the tables or the drugs anymore because I've got that under control. My go-to when I'm stressed, I'm down, when I'm bordering on depression is food. I'll go and binge eat. The same driver as the other ones though? Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, okay, where do I get that emotional release? Where do I get that dopamine hit? And you feel like the food, at least you're allowed to do that. Yeah, it's the most socially acceptable out of them all. So that's when you when you call it and say, oh, I have a food addiction. People go, oh, shut up, mate. Yeah. Where it's like, well, no, that's your truth. But then I use this as the, the litmus test. Uber Eats, much like when I looked at what was my favourite bit of going to the casino again and again, favourite bit about ordering off an app is the first bit is deciding. It's like, okay, so I've let go. I'm sliding. It's like, great, okay, let go of all my strength, you know, all that, trying to be strong. That's out the window. That feels good. And then go, okay, what am I going to eat? And, of course, it's designed to, you know, tantalise your senses. So you've got the the whole choice in the world. Sometimes that's a pain in the ass. Like I'm just, I don't know, you pick. And I reckon the best bit's watching that little blip get close to your house. In my in my mind, my heart, watching that little courier arrive at your house is actually better than eating it sometimes, most of the time. You know? The anticipation yeah. of them being on like, their way. And then and then the guilt straight afterwards, I've just I've just smashed a better part of five hundred gram of uh, fried rice and I've gone, Oh, I didn't I didn't really need that. You say it's it's the um, identical process, thought process at, for all the addictions? It might be. Well, f- personally, for me, it's yeah. like, okay, what, what am I what am I chasing? You know, it's, I, I remember when I was doing the Melbourne Comedy Festival back in uh, the early noughties, late 90s, that was the word they'd say up on Russell and Exhibition. That's where all the heroin was being dealt out there. And all these little street urchins would come up and say, are you chasing? Are you chasing? So that word's always stuck with me. What are you, what are you chasing? What's... What's driving you? So I, I think I ask myself, you know, do I really need to eat? What is it? And it's most of the time, because um, it's like I didn't need a drink, but it'd be bloody nice. And the better part about that is like going, fuck it, letting it slip and just going bang, and then just going going hard, giving yourself permission to in let the, go. In the, in the moment, that feels better than holding off. Yeah, because Until it's like, it doesn't, obviously, straight away. Yeah, there it is. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm so tired of being fucking strong. Mm. And so that the first kind well, of- Well, you've been strong all day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so look at Benny Cousins. Like, he he justified himself. It was just fascinating watching that documentary. He justified to himself by super hard work, being hyper diligent and on it. When he was training, it was he knew that end of round, let's say, end of round three- He's worked it out, and that's his treat. That's his uh, that's his destination, and he will justify it to himself morally, and because that's that whole thing. When you crash, whether it's off, you know, f- food, booze, um, you know, methamphetamines, you you go into you know this self-loathing, this doubt, and the irony is the only way to lift yourself around that is to give yourself that fix again. So he would justify it to himself by hard work working his absolute ring off because he knows that Equals that's his little tree. The yeah. release. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, So you felt like that too. Um well yeah that it's I'd use similar means to justify it to myself. Like I've been a good boy. Uh, e- even now it's like okay. That's pretty common I reckon. Yeah. You know, it's like I I deserve this. I know it's not right. It's a ch- I'm just going to have a cheeky whatever. And people say it. They say it out loud to yeah. try and get reassurance from other people. Right? Say, oh yeah, you've been good. Like you can. Yeah, come on. What's yeah. it going to hurt? Yeah. And it's like, well, think about if. And you- then they do. They want you to do it so they can do it too. Oh you know? mate, I was. I'm the best enabler. You know, that's the thing. Is I'm, why is I was always the last one to leave the party because I didn't want anyone talking about me. You know, and I'd, I'd make sure the party happened so I had a foundation to get caned on. I remember once um, barking down my own intervention. Like, you know, a group of lovely people got around me and were beginning to, you know, the beginnings of like, hey, man, you need to take it easy. And I was that, 
I, I, uh, that was good old single malt days. That's the thing. The thing about whiskey is that every drink is a kind of different kind of kick, really, when you want to pull it away. If you, that's why I say to people now, when they offer me a drink, I've said, no thanks, I've retired. Because if you say you quit, they go, well, what's wrong? Did you, why'd you give up? It's like, well, no, I look back on it because I, I don't take, I don't reflect on all of it, you know, with disgrace. You know, I've had some really great gigs, some great moments, some wicked adventures. Mm, you know? Made you who you are in yeah. a way. So I look back on it and go, hey, but I retired. Like, you know, Michael Jordan doesn't need to play basketball again, which is coming. That's also the uh, the phrase that people in their 20s I hear a lot, especially in to, to do with like clubbing and stuff like that, mm. which becomes a bit of a sticking point when you sort of head towards your mid-20s. People start liking to say, nah, I've retired. Because yeah. it's like yeah, I'm, I've hung up the boots, and you hear like I've had my time. Because yeah. there starts to be a certain shame associated with still living the way you were when you were, you know, nineteen into your early twenties, and people will use that that yeah. phrasing mm. uh, just because it's kind of got a funny sort of okay respectability to it. Yeah, compared to like, nah, I've, I've quit. I can't I, do it. Yeah, no. I quit because my behaviour. Whereas if you say I've retired, it's like, oh, mate, back in my day, oh, I, yeah, did, I did it all. I saw a thing or two. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did it all. It was good, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah if I've, but I look back. You can I'm always going, come out of retirement though, can't you? Yeah, but someone will get hurt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if, but if, if you come out of retirement, went back to the same nightclubs, wearing the same clothes, yeah. it'd be embarrassing And you know everyone. what? Every time they come back, it's never the same, is it? True. You know, music's yeah. moved on. I've moved and on. And everyone generally says, looks at you and goes, oh, it was fun to have them come back, but. They weren't much good, were they? They should have. They exactly. should have. They should have yeah, left. It. Quit while they're ahead. They should have quit while. They're Never ahead. meet your heroes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Except for today. No. No. So when did it become a problem? Drinking. Uh, look, um, I started noticing. Look, not at work, which I, I look back on and go, ah, because it, it. Well, it may have. It may have. Looking back, you know, I won't punish myself. Go where could where could my career been if I had taken all the opportunities instead of turning up drunk, half pissed, did a, a lackluster job. But in my mind, I was nailing it. You know, I'm like your your pissed uncle at Christmas, thinking all these jokes and yeah, stories. Think, you think you're great. I think I'm great, yeah. and you know, and I had all the confidence, all the swagger in the world. So I didn't really feel it was affecting my work, and I'll never know. Um, but yeah, but family life, there was the, that was the greatest kind of the most obvious thing, you know, when my wife called me up on it and used the word alcoholic, which is such a dirty word for people who don't want to just really take stock of themselves. And it's, it's not a bad word. You, once you, once you can label something, you can start working through it. It's, you know, there's a lot well, of someone, stigma. Someone who likes a drink versus an alcoholic is a pretty big gap, isn't it? Yeah, true. But it's, it's such a. It's, it can be such a broad term. It's like what what classifies someone as an alcoholic. Someone, you know, I, I don't want to put labels on it myself, but it's like when when one isn't enough and you start saying stuff like, well, what's the point? Just having one. And that's my mentality. So I had to start thinking, okay, well, I know I'm a both taps on full bore kind of guy. If or I want to do something, yeah, I want to. If I'm going to enter a race, I want to do the one that's going up a mountain and, you know, and it's it's going to take me eight and a half hours, you know. And if I'm, you know, if I'm going to have a hot curry, well, <laughs> I want to be, I look like I'm crying. It's like, you're an idiot, but I want to feel, I want to experience. So go hard or go home. That's, you know, and that's such, there's a, there's an indicator on society as well. It's like you you want to you want to do it properly or not at all. So I knew that it wasn't um, can be a bit of a dangerous mindset, can't it? Yeah, it can. Can it, be great. Can mm, be really bad. Yeah, true. Like if you channel that into you know your kind of training or you know your your music or whatever you you know creative, you can put that into a creative thing. Oh, this is I cracked the shits the other day actually. I was running. Um, was it one of my not literally. A, <laughs> yeah, imagine it does happen. That curry it, at about se- about seven k, the bow lengthens out. You hit your stride. You can't trust anything. You think it's you think it's a turbo boost. It has happened. But that's that's on a different podcast. No good on the incline. But dead right. Yeah, those quads are meant to be brakes. No, they're not, mate. Trust me. No, but no, I was thinking. A lot of people say this, like, oh, you've just replaced one addiction with another." And I, I was just replaying that in my head the other day, and I, I thought. You know, what would I say to him? 
because it's like, well, I'm, what do you mean? Replacing something that was killing me with something that's, that's not that's and, and something I can achieve in. Yes, something that's, that I can. That's set, a solution, really. Set, set, it? Go, set goals, work towards them, and they go, oh, now, oh, yeah, you've just you just hooked on this now, and it's like that's just such a narrow-minded mm. thing to say. Mm. It's it maybe, but then I started thinking maybe it's more about them. That's how they're justifying someone moving on because mm. they need like-wise people to... Because then they think to themselves, oh, well, you might as well just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Well, because le- leaving leaving that kind of th- their norm is kind of forcing them to have a look in the mirror. Well, if, if you know, if Mick's quit, if, uh, what does that make me? Rather, rather than say, oh, yeah, good on him, you know, he's, he's doing better, it, that took some courage, they think, oh, he's, he hasn't really... Yeah, because that's just looks better for them. Just replaced it, it. and it's like, yeah, that that hit me the other day, and I've gone, okay, well, there's another argument in the back of my head. It's weird. Like I go on a I go on a real long run, and some of the stuff that brings up from the past, all this unfinished business or stuff you've never considered, uh, they say, you know, the muscle memory. um, They say fat has memory as well, but you know, at least muscle memory is positive. Is it teach you to kick on. But f- fat, apparently, you, you ho- hold a lot of your regrets and your, some sadness in your fat. So as I'm burning fat the other day on a run, um, this popped up like a thought in my head. It's like, why did you say that to her in year nine? You're a dickhead, mate. Got emotional about yeah, it. And, like, and I, was, I was hurting I'm trying enough. to find her address and say exactly. sorry. It was like, <laughs> I, think, I think she's moved on. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, it's uh it's it's weird. So um, I knew I knew I started having a problem when I was uh, yeah trying to cover it up. Like you know, uh, my wife really helped me make framework to go. Well, hang on, you're going away. You're working. Let's reapproach. I got off. Uh, I got off the piss for about nine months while our first bubba was being built. Uh, Were you pregnant or I was. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> I. Mate, that's another podcast again. But <laughs> but no, I thought just support the wife. She can't. I won't. And I'll you know for a good five years, I'd have a month off a year just to give myself a break. So and and that way, I could tell myself I didn't have a problem because if I could stop for a hundred days, not that I was counting every one of them. Yeah. You know, so I so had the, the strength. At the end of that, you could launch into because <laughs> that's the thing. It's like when I or because way it works, trying to get off it was really hard because you know if you if you you know battling uh, you know if you want to quit, that's the hard thing. You know, beginning anything, but then trying to quit, you, these voices come in. It's like, well, what's going to happen? There's always a reason. Well, it's your birthday in eight weeks. And then it's going to be Christmas after that, and yeah, then the fringe you're not starts. Going to be any, you're not going to be any fun. You're not going to have any fun. That's it. But then, then you go, you, you you exist for an entire fringe festival without having a drink, and you go, hang on, that was great. That was yeah, fun. Remember it all. Remember it all. Did a good job. Did a good job. You've had meaningful chats. You haven't repeated yourself like a knob. Um, but yeah, that's the other. Did thing. you feel like it wasn't as fun in some ways though? Uh, no, because here's the other thing. I had a whole other four hours of the day available to me that I, you know, I'd sleep to eleven. You know, most fringe mornings. Um, you know, Sunday, and then I would get up and um, I'd put the aircon on, go back to sleep, and wake up and hit the day again at three. Yeah, that's like some depressed person kind of yeah. behavior. And then it? I'd have to go out and turn on a happy, happy-go-lucky guy because you know I've got people who've paid money to see mm. me. So in the Did you feel like you were putting on that mask at any point? Uh, no, uh, not really because then the show was was art imitating life and then there would be a part of the show that was a catharsis, like I'd talk about trying to get off it and I'd play a drunk character in my show and for the first 10 shows it was apple juice but then the second half of the Fringe he was drink- I was drinking double whiskies and yelling back into the venue to bring me more and it was funny when it wasn't real what it was an act but mm. then i became i became a belligerent jerk did you get to the point where you were pretty shit on stage no that was the problem <laughs> i was nominated for the fringe award again so that was so they were encouraging it you know what i mean it was it was you know everyone's different but i this show was pretty raw mm. and i remember my mate saying um we're worried about you mate mm. and i i uh i said why is everyone fucking worried about me I'm kicking ass. But what he meant is like I was turning into a jerk. 
Then, uh, and I broke up with my girlfriend at the time and went back to London, coming down off all this stuff, had my mate found me a place in North London and I stayed there and I thought, I've got to sort myself out here. I'm in a bad way. What do I want to do? What do I like? What would I like to do? So I bought myself a ticket. I love me cricket. So I bought myself a ticket to, to Mumbai and I was going to go to Mumbai to play street cricket for 10 days. That was my little treat to myself. Go away, make no plans, just have a backpack with some tennis balls in there, some socks, some jocks, and just make it as I go along. Get to Heathrow Airport. I've got 400 quid cash on me. Uh, I get to the line, got my ticket, and the lady goes, okay, tickets and visas, please. And I've gone, what? I, you know, there was nothing at, when I checked out on the internet says you need to follow up and get your visa. You know, I should have done a bit more research, but there was no. So I'm left high and dry. And the, and the the what do you call it, the the Indian High Commission wasn't open for another three days, so I couldn't I couldn't get one processed. So I've limped back into got back on the Piccadilly line, went straight uh, up at Piccadilly Circus, and with the four hundred quid, I just blew it all at the casino that night. So that was my birthday treat gone. So I'm broke in the middle of London, and what do I do? So I just I limped back up to Edinburgh where my sister was at the time uh, at a hostel and I just, uh, you know, just existed there for my birthday. But that was a real, real rock bottom. And I just go, and I'd, I'd, I'd have many of those before I realised, okay, the common thing is, yeah, you're on the piss, you're like a punt, and it's everywhere here in Australia. You know, you get these apps on your phone, you're getting, you, I just want to watch the footy, mate. I don't, I don't need yeah, a multi. I don't I need a multi. You can't anymore. It's inescapable. Every, every, every yeah. goal that you see it. Yeah, and multiply the odds. It's like, oh, I need that, do I? And you know, and then uh, they've managed to take away the booze and beer sponsorships from the footy, the cricket, and you know those great Carlton United ads that were on. You know, you forget they were beer ads because they're just, you know, so entertaining. Yeah. Um, but it's there in our face the, the whole gam- time. Gambling is just massive now, isn't it? Huge. And you the, can't the online stuff. You can't and escape so e- it. So easy, just on the phone. I remember I trashed my bedroom once because, you know, that's the thing. You can't do it at a casino when you lose three hands in a row. You can't take your cricket bat mallet that you used to break your cricket bat in with and you can't trash up the casino. I smashed up my room because I, I was got out to us doing like $800 hands playing playing blackjack on my, on my PC in my little bedroom. And it's like because it's not it – well, essentially it's cryptocurrency. And you click, click, go on. It doesn't feel real. Yeah. But it is. How much money do you reckon you lost on gambling? Oh, quarter mil? Yeah. It's not pretty. Um, Yeah, when you think about it. um, You know, Max, it's, you know, it sounds a lot. I'm not trying to justify it, but just how easily it can just, you know, trickle through your fingers. Um, Maximum 25 lines, maximum bet. Like someone could do, you could easily go through 2G uh, one night at your local pub. And if you can't find a local pub, leave the city, drive four kilometres in any direction, there's a place open till 5am. So it's that's in range. You can do it on your phone. You can do it, you know. It's, Never stops unless you make it stop. Yeah, true. Yeah. So that so I've just barred, barred myself from that. It's just all the strength. Um, and now... I'll be working on cruise ships. I've got to walk through the casino and watch people gamble. And I've, I've now I'm, I'm able to stop and have a look and not feel that kind of urge mm. wanting to get in How on the action. How long that take to get to that point? It took me a few years to be able, like I said to my wife, I'm really nervous about going to, you know, not that I can't control myself, but I don't want to be able to put myself, have that ticking away in the back of my head when I need to be professional on a ship in front of the punters. Yeah. So that's the first time I've ever said that figure out, out loud out the top of my head, and it's like, Christ. Yeah, that's sounds, it. Sounds like a, like a lot when you say it. Mate, it's a, it's a shack down in Yorks. <laughs> yeah, I know. Back with the, the comedy stuff, do you think there's a certain darkness that comedians need to be funny? Um, yeah, if you want to tap some realism, you know, if you want to access yourself and be, the you know, the full the full spectrum of your, your art. Um, like I, I like the thing, I'm, I'm a... You know, there's so many different types of stand-ups, you know, whether you want to be, you know, whether you want to sling gags or you're, you know, you're kind of a 
what do you call it, biographical storyteller, or I got I like to tap a lot of different kind of um, you know parts of the art. I like to think I'm a I'm a clown. I often lose in more than yeah more than I say a good percentage of my stories. I'm the loser. So I, and that's how I yeah, like to play. Like self-deprecating yeah, stuff. Yeah, so and um, I like watching Richard Pryor for that. Anyone that's had hardship and can tap into that and turn it into light, you, you know, I, I think they're doing um, themselves a service, you know, by getting it off their own chest and then showing other people that it's, you know. I think the human condition loves that as well, fundamentally. Yeah. You know, we love the rags to riches story. We also love people who've been through something and then been able to, Turn it around, or or in a comedy sense, make it make it funny. Mm. Oh, totally! It's like because no one wants to go. Just think about this. It's it's good. I love seeing a couple come to the comedy, you know, on their first or second date because it's the perfect date. Come and do you point them out? Well, not anymore because I respect them because what they're doing is they're going. Let's go and see what the other person laughs at. Yeah. See if we've got in common there. Yeah. And it takes a lot of pressure off the bloke. I can only talk about it first person as a male because I've never been a female on a date before. Yep. But it's the thing. What are you going to – you usually just run your mouth if you're nervous. So instead you go and, you know, employ a clown to be a dickhead and mm. then you watch what she's just laughing at. Just don't sit in the front row. Oh, mate. So you're on a date, are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I do it. I, I'll go as far <laughs> as that. You're on a date, are you? Get bad very quickly. <laughs> you just watch his bumhole tighten up and you go, it's all right, mate. It's just good on you. It's good yeah, on you for coming my out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what was your reaction when Robin Williams died? Uh, it was like, whoa, yeah. Um, we, I was in a green room. Yeah, and the news travelled super quick. And then, um, yeah, it was, it was really rough. Cause, and then when uh, you saw a doco on his, his autopsy, so to speak, or, you know, just talking about what led up to him making that ultimate decision, you, you think, wow, because, um, yeah, just that pressure on keeping up appearances. And, you know, he gave of himself so much and was, you know, purely just give, give, give all the time and he, he didn't have much time for himself or, you know, and I think that took its toll in the end. What did you learn from seeing that? Uh, to re- respect your own downtime. You know, to you don't have to give all the time to, it's okay. My wife told me this, it's okay to say no now and then. You know, if people asking of your time, people asking of your, um, you know, to put up some boundaries to, you know, to escape a bit, to to water your own plant for a change. Otherwise, you know, yeah, you can't be one way all the time. And having, being that kind of guy, which you are with all that energy, you know, always a smile in your face, always making people laugh, standing out for that reason, and you're expected to always be that, and you pretty much always want to be because that's you being yourself. But you, I'm sure you're the, you're the way that, you know, if your energy's a bit down or, you know, you're, you're not quite bringing what you're normally bringing, people say, you know, what's wrong with you? Straight, straight away, like, what's going on with you? Just, yeah. Is that the case? So, well, it's a lot of, it takes a lot of energy, doesn't it, to be that kind of that kind of person. Like, it takes a lot to always be up on that level and you've got to have a break sometimes. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But um, you know what I really like doing now is just now that I'm, it's easier now that I'm a bit older because uh, I can just, I can just, I know what I can bring. I don't have to be showing it all the time. I can sit there, take stuff. Take the world in. If someone's if someone's flapping at the mouth, I can just sit there, knowing that later on, when it's the time comes, I can bring it. I don't have to. I don't have to be turning it on here at the dinner table in front of everyone because I'm I'm going to be doing it there in a bit. Now, there's there's gigs you do for an earner for the family. There's gigs you do to get better. There's gigs you do for fun. And this was this was the uh, this was the former. Yeah. Right. So I've come out and I've got nothing top of the show and I'm like oh that usually gets something yeah. and I even, I've even tailored that to make it work that got nothing for this audience yeah and then I thought okay well come off the stage use use your craft come into this long old country hall walk up there and try and they weren't looking at me I'm like oh this is oh, great and that's this. your big gun straight away yeah it's like oh god here we go that's uh, like when the when the army's coming at you and you give them your biggest you know <laughs> yeah. your biggest barrage <laughs> your biggest attack and yeah. they just they just keep coming does nothing it just goes tink off his yeah. chest and like i'm already thinking oh, i'm gonna text limo he's gonna love this off oh, that's die oh this is okay record this in your head because this is this is horrible it's like oh, oh this is real this is good this is why i'm doing it 
this is this is what feeling feels like again. Great, because you know anything that becomes the norm, it's like it's I'm employed to deliver. I'm employed to bring it, and you know, in if it was the same every night, it wouldn't be magic. So this is why I relish anything that's different other than just hitting the mark. Because if if nothing else, the crowd's going to be different. You're yeah, be able to tailor it sort of to totally. And when that's not working and it, it absolutely dies in its hole, this is this is life. This is brilliant. And it's like I'm I'm living. I'm feeling. And I'm like, who do I want to tell first? Hang on, you're still you're still living it. Just hang on, see it out. I'm like, okay, I'm making a list. I'm going to tell my wife. I'm going to tell Limo. I definitely have to and tell my dad. It must have been understand. a long time since you bombed then. Oh, no, look, I have a few a year, but if you're looking to book me, I won't bomb. But <laughs> I, but no, it's inevitable, you know, because, you know, I'm doing thousands of gigs a year. No, it's, no, it's, uh, I, the best bit though, was I got through it and I sat at the head table where these people are paying big money and they're part of big, big companies. And this lady turns to me and she goes, so do you do this full time? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'm like, yes. I'm, now Surely I'm not, not. Now I know what I'm texting. Because <laughs> it's like, oh, God. I, she just asked me this. And I'm like, copy and then paste, send to many. Yeah. Because they knew exactly. Like, and you were like, like yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, how do you answer that? Because if you say, yes, I do, they go, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, are you getting by? Is yeah. everyone at home? Yeah, is everything do, okay? Do your kids have shoes? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, had to sell them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Yes, yeah, so I, I love anything, anything that kind of, anything that's real, and you know, it's you're not numbing yourself. You're having to. Well, you know that you still have to, you still have to bring it, even having as much experience as you do. You can still fall flat. Oh yeah, and that's got to give you that little edge that you have to have to perform, I suppose. Well, true, and like I'd always try, and I love being a bit of a shit stirrer. And just trying to, I'm not saying pushing boundaries for the sake of being edgy because, you know, being an edgy comedian was a real fad for a bit. Whereas my wife, again, what an absolute hero. And she kind of helped me sidestep the whole biographical thing because at the end of the day, like she says, who gives a shit? People just want to come. And I'm like, that's brutal. But it's true. Who gives a shit? People just they, they want to come. They want to laugh. They want to forget whatever's going on yeah. in in there. Anyway, anyway, you can do it. And then, sure, it's sometimes it's fun to go and hear someone who's sucked harder than you. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. I've had a bad day, but this clown is bleeding from his soul. Yeah, but this don't is, don't harp on about it too it, much. True. So it's like go out there and just be funny. And so that that's yeah, easy easier said than done. <laughs> oh, true. Because sometimes you, you throw stuff out there, and sometimes people don't want to laugh. So, so they're sitting there like, "Come that. on, funny man." True. Because there's, there's, um, you know, culturally, you know, there's darts for us, monkey. True, like <laughs> all, all of the, but my head, were you at my show? And um, was that you? Because people, yeah, they look at you, and it's weird because you know, people in their mid twenties, um, because everything's been so instantaneously presented to them. You know, you can go home and watch a million dollar Netflix special, you know, and has that kind of production thrown at it. Mm. And it's they've had a writing team right for that person, but when, and then all of a sudden you go and see someone do a live set on a Thursday night yeah, in you Adelaide. Think, you think that's the standard? Yeah, Netflix is and the standard. You, yeah. You're watching this person, you know, trudge out stuff from their soul that they've been cooking on, you know, and it's like ah, uh, uh, but that's. But also, I think as a human, anytime you see something raw and real, like from the soul, you recognise it. Genuinely, yeah. and that's people do come to see that. That's pure beauty. That's why, yeah, live is king. That's that's what I say. But uh, yes, because the richness comes from it maybe going south all of a sudden. And I, I think it was a, it was a strange. I've had a couple of real kind of backhanded compliments recently, but I, I treasure them because one was I've never. Someone said I've never seen somebody lose the audience as much as you and get them back. And it's like, <laughs> chuck that on your fringe card. It's like, yeah, how am I going to get that? Other? Yeah. Um, but it's it's true. Like, uh, you know, I could something falls. There'd be times I've lost the audience four or five times in a twenty minute set, which doesn't say much about. Which is most of the set, isn't it? Isn't it? So then, <laughs> you mean you had them for about two minutes? <laughs> I had them for two minutes, but overall, I come off going. I think we'll call it a draw. But but that's you know that's something to watch. You know, back and forth. Whereas, just can. That's the other thing, um, being straight, clean, sober, is being, instead of, you know, being hit and miss for six gigs, 
absolutely destroying two, not turning up for one, and then the other one, is that 10? The other one, you know, I can't even count. The brain's so, taking a bit of a hit. <laughs> yeah, versus just turning up and being consistent. Which one's know, better? I don't, yeah. Um, cons- consistent, if, you know, if you want it just depends on what kind of play you want to watch. You know, if you want to watch, you know, someone, there's beauty in both. You know, you look at someone that's been reliable, a 400, ga- a 400 career gamer who's just, you know, delivered every night or do you want to watch a freak and both that could go either way yeah so that's i'm caught between the two and because i've i've uh i've played both styles do you still have gigs where you hit as high as you've ever hit uh thereabouts yeah Yeah. but it's usually when something magic's happened and i've only been able to tap that magic because i've had that crispness i'm a bit sharper and i can run with it rather than it you know it's something beautiful if if you if you were sluggish you wouldn't it wouldn't come to you in your head what you need or i would have been belligerent and just fumbled it you know i would have just run over the top of it because it was me 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 my my high my power do you reckon uh, a lot of comedians worry about going too far down the dark path. They a lot of they draw a lot of their comedy, comedy sometimes from that self deprecation or their cynicism. Is that something that you reckon people have to keep in check, or it sort of can become? Yeah, yes. Again, there is always a risk of life imitating art, and then you know, vice versa. But again, like any like any world, just being true to yourself and you know whatever works. But at the same time, being able to step off that mode and replenish. Because if it works for you, if you're like tapping the dark arts, so to speak, you know, that's, uh, if, if that pays the bills or if that, you know, if that adds to your growth, go for it. But, you know, if, if it's at the expense of your your mental health or, you know, your, your family or your immediate friendship circle suffering, you know, uh, you, you're going you're gonna to get feedback from, from everyone else before yourself. But ultimately, you have to listen to yourself in the end, whether you know whether you wanted to or not, and the the jokester sort of guy, like the guy that's always telling jokes, always making people laugh, but never really saying all that much that's real, or you know, people might not know actually that much about them because they're just ever turning everything into a joke. Have you met? You would have met those kinds of characters. Do you think they're the kinds of people that you need to really sort of keep an eye on or try to dig a bit deeper with? Yeah, you want to. Because then all of a sudden you might see something scratch the surface and go, oh, there's there's the realness. There's that person. Because, yeah, sometimes people do present in a veneer because, again, it's like uh, it's whoever they're presenting up there, is, it serves a function, serves a purpose, and if that has worked for them in the past. But, yeah, sometimes you see um, some truths coming through. That's why I like going watching open mic comedy because you see someone learning the craft and that rawness you know they can't. The veneer is still being built. Whether and then other times you see someone who's just a natural who comes out with with no with no armor on, and that's there's some real beauty in that as well. How do you uh, how do you view yourself now that you're sober compared to when you were at the height of those issues? Mm, uh, you like yourself. You must like yourself more now. Like this. yeah, you look. I, I look forward. What do to, you think? Oh, I'm boring now. <laughs> Look, I, I reckon I, I can be I can be boring. Uh, yeah, I'm thinking, like, am I being boring now? That's just that's nah. the that's the cute that's the condition of a lot of comics. It's like, oh, okay, better better tread and treading water the I've whole got, time. I've only got water here. Is that water? <laughs> I, uh, let's see. Mm. Yeah, it is. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like I said, I'm I'm glad I I lived it and I lived that hard, and I'm also really glad I stepped off that ride. Because you know, I can I can tap into everything I learned through learning it hard and fast and real. But there was some big um, I got some hefty invoices for that kind of living. You know, whether it be months of depression, whether it be you know uh, slipping in your own turd under a railway arch in London, and and <laughs> there you go. It's like what you know. It's like some real <laughs> when. You know, when someone like Doug Stanhope looks at you when you tell him a story and go, whoa, that's rough, you go, well, yeah, and and, and not thinking, well, that's bad. I'm not, all I was thinking is like, wow, yeah, that, that impressed Doug Stanhope. That was hard. Yeah, that was hard. I was, I'm, I'm tough. It's like, mm, yeah. But, you know, I've I've had some 
some real lows. But again, looking back, it's like that's made me who I am mm. and it's being able to say I've retired. I can look back on whether you want to call it a, a career as a bit of a bit of a loose unit. You know, I, I lived it as best as I could and now I can, I can you know, look back on it and go, okay, there are the lessons I learned from there. And then I can see young comics, you know, emulating well, not emulating. They're living their own path, and do you say anything to them? Nah, this is where I'm, this is where I'm quite. You feel like you don't I'm, have the right, really, to say. They have to find out for themselves. I think so. It'd be unfair to go, "Hey, come on," because uh, you know they've got to live it their way. But if do you feel the was, same about your kids, um, kind of like I would never let them hurt themselves. I'd say you, you know, this if you're going to do it, do it properly. You know, you know what I mean? Let's let dad buy it for you. Let dad buy it for you. Look, we're going to Amsterdam. I'm not. You're not going to Paraka. We're going to go to the dam. Look, we'll get it. We'll get it sourced organically. No, but you it know, sounds like you're getting the kids to enable you. Exactly. Exactly. Look, daddy wants to come back. Do you do you feel like you're always going to have to keep the itch in check? Like it's always going to be there on some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I um, poured my wife a glass of red the other day, gave it a sniff and thought, that smells good. It smells good, but I don't want to drink it. So, and I'm always first to, you know, when someone's around the house, I offer them a, a drink. It's not, you know, and people say that thing, oh, you you know, classic enabler. It's like, no, nah, I just want to be a good host and a good human, make people feel welcome. I'm not, uh, the other ones was waiting in transit, do I go and get a beer at the airport? And it's like, that's died down. So I don't think I'll be reaching for a drink ever again. Uh, and I, that, I feel good about that. Um, you know, the big one at the moment is trying not to get a, you know, get a big bar of chocolate and sm- or smash some Nordburger. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or I go, I cracked the shits the other night because one of my favourite burger shacks isn't open on a Wednesday. I've gone, what kind of? operations this i'm gonna have to slum it and and order some other burger shack because they didn't have crinkle cut <laughs> fries now. i do what's <laughs> happened to me i'm just it's going back into those old behaviors so yeah. there's always going to be something to check whether it's you know i'm not uh stretching down properly after a run or you know there's always if if you're on yourself and if you want to improve and if you want to keep growing right to the moment you you're dead then you're always going to be, you know, dealing with some kind of itch. If you got something out of this episode, please leave a comment and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us grow the show so we can keep bringing you the content that matters. Also, guys, it's really important that we're part of the conversation about our health and well-being, and it's easy to do. Just Google Freemasons Foundation Center for Men's Health and click on the Men's Health Register to sign up and help out with much-needed surveys and studies that make us all better off. If you want to stay up to date with what we're doing and get involved, get onto the Young Blood Podcast community Facebook group and follow Young Blood Podcast on Instagram. And if you're keen to get in touch with me, email youngbloodpodcast, all one word, at hotmail.com. This podcast was produced by the talented Rory Noak at Podbooth. You can check them out at podbooth.com.au. This is Young Blood. Thanks for joining us. Catch you next time.